Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. With me today, the beautiful, talented, skilled, charming, <laughs> and wise Jennifer well, Wilson. Hello, Jim. JJ, thanks for coming alongside. Thanks for packing your bags in this My series pleasure. with us as we explore Exodus. Exodus is a book in the Old Testament which talks about the people of God moving from Egypt into the Promised yes. Land. It's a dramatic tale. I think it's real history. But it's been preserved for us because of all of its truths. Because the story of the Hebrews in Exodus really is our story too. We may not find ourselves in the Nile Valley and we may not cross the Sinai, but in life, all of us come to moments when we realize we are trapped, we're not able to go forward without some kind of outside help. We all also need to come to a point in life where we realize that we've been enslaved. Sometimes people are physically enslaved in the material order, but all of us have been enslaved by sin at some point, where there is a dark force and a dark part of our original being that wants to do wrong. And that is a kind of slavery from which only God himself can set us free. And the story of the Exodus is about all of that and more. And today, JJ, as we talk about the journey of the Hebrews, as we talk about our own journey, we want to visit one of the most famous stories ever told. This is the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. (laughs) And everyone, I think, within the sound of our voice has at one time or another heard that phrase, crossing the Red Sea, Mm -hmm. understanding that it's a supernatural deliverance from an impossible situation. That story is our text today. The Hebrews lived in Egypt for 400 years in that Old Testament age, J.J., and uh, incrementally over that time, they were increasingly oppressed and persecuted by the Egyptians who called the land home first. And ultimately, they were enslaved, they were cruelly treated, they were oppressed, they were beaten, they were forced into labor that was excruciating, even to the place where male children were ordered to be murdered destroyed at birth or drowned in the Nile. I mean, it's, it's horrific when we think about all the things that took place then. And all of that sometimes to our modern ears sounds, well, it couldn't have really been that bad, could it? Hmm. But the truth is, in many epochs of history, cruelty and prejudice and power have corrupted the yeah. human endeavor. Even in this modern age in which we live, and we'll talk about that in this program, there are evidences of this darkness, this evil Mm -hmm. that is so dreadful it cannot even be imagined. And so what is described for us in the Hebrew journey of the olden time still exists in our world today. But ultimately, they cried out to God, these Hebrews did, because they knew that there was a God not made with human hands. Mm. They cried out to him. He remembered their promise. He sent them Moses. He had a plan. He made a way for them to escape. And then there was that one night where they were prepared and told In the night, you're going to flee. You're going to have to travel light, pack your bags, but be ready to move. And that night came, and in that one evening, these thousands upon thousands of Hebrews ran away from their homes, ran away from their bondage, and they had just a narrow window, a small opening through which they could flee, but they did. They got away from Egypt. They went on their way towards God's promised land, and oh, how wonderful Mm -hmm. it must have been to drink that free air, to go that night and think, when I wake up tomorrow... I will not have to fear being beaten by an Egyptian slave master. I will not have to fear 
dropping by the road with exhaustion because I can't get enough straw to make the many bricks that I'm ordered to make, I can wake up tomorrow and know that my baby boy will be safe Mm. and not drowned in the Nile by the edict of the wicked king. I mean, there's so much there. Just think about the freedom and the sense of exhilaration that comes. And I'm here to say, for anyone listening to our broadcast today, if you confess your sin to God and ask him to set you free, to remove that yoke of slavery from you, there'll come a moment where you're just going to breathe free and yes. it's going to be so awesome you to think, I don't have to live that way anymore. Hooray! I don't have to go back into that same endless mm-hmm. cycle of self-destruction and it will be awesome. Yes. But the devil never stands idly by when yeah. someone runs away from him. And often people find that after they make a decision to travel with God, to pack their bags, they will find themselves sooner or later up hard and fast against the Red Sea. And that's what happens to mm-hmm. the Hebrews. They go so far, they're breathing easy, but then they come to this obstacle, the Red Sea. It's so wide, it's so deep, it's impossible to cross. There are no ferries, there are no bridges, (laughs) there's no amphibious gear, nobody can swim (laughs) it. They're trapped. And worse, what's happening behind them? Here comes the Egyptian army. Pharaoh changed his mind and said, I want them back. So he gets his fastest and his best, and he heads out after them. 600 charioteers, we're told, and these were the armored flanks of the ancient world. The Egyptian army was the strike force of ancient time. It was the most powerful human force on the planet, and they were in hot pursuit of the Hebrews, now stopped at the shore of the Red Sea. They can't go forward. They can't go backward. It's a desperate, impossible scenario. What do they do, JJ, when they find themselves trapped? You might say between the devil and the dark blue sea. What are they going to do? Well, of course, what we all do, they cry out, (laughs) what the world is going on? Shall we read it from Exodus chapter 14? Please do. This is Exodus chapter 14, beginning with verse 10. As Pharaoh and his army approached, the people of Israel could see them in the distance marching toward them. The people began to panic, and they cried out to the Lord for help. Then they turned against Moses and complained, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why did you make us leave? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone when we were still in Egypt? Our Egyptian slavery was far better than dying out here in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, Don't be afraid. Just stand where you are and watch the Lord rescue you. The Egyptians that you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. You won't have to lift a finger in your defense. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Use your shepherd's staff, hold it over the water, and a path will open up before you through the sea. Then all the people of Israel will walk through on dry ground. It is one of the most amazing stories told in all of history. God intervenes supernaturally to deliver his people. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. God is in the business of deliverance. Hmm. But in the moment of their desperate need, they cried out to God, but quickly moved from their crying out to God to almost a conclusion, well, God's not going to do anything, and they start complaining. And this is human nature, isn't it? They start I know, longing I really for the, resonate with this. Well, they, they, they start looking back fondly on their days of slavery. Yeah, we know it wasn't so good in many respects, but it's not as bad as this. They begin to, with a relative view, think maybe we should have remained as slaves. And the devil will always do that. When we decide to pack our bags and travel with God, he's going to 
try and whisper in her ear, you know, whatever your challenges are, it's it's worse than what you would have faced if you just stayed with me. Mm. If you just go back to the way you used to live. And it's so, a half truth. It's a half truth. And the devil mm-hmm. is the author of lies and half truths. Mm-hmm. He deceives. That's his game. Don't fall for it. Mm-hmm. Go forward with God. The Hebrews are tempted right here to run back into the arms of their slave masters. Yeah. And we don't know what the Pharaoh would have done, but my guess is the Pharaoh would have taken them back into slavery before he would have killed them because he, he needed labor. their labor. Yeah. And so they have this calculus to make. Shall I go back? And that temptation will always be there. Don't go back. Mm-mm. They also start looking forward as if they pursue their present course to the darkest possible outcome. And we tend to do that too. When we get panic-stricken, when things aren't working out the way we hoped or thought they would when we're fearful, we start drawing the darkest, most awful picture of what's up ahead. Don't cross bridges to get to them. You have to be realistic in a way, but also be hopeful. Never surrender hope. Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty feeling? Cause shame's done all it's stealing And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way where there ain't no way Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that he can save Let me tell you about my Jesus His love is strong
I don't know if you've heard of this book. It's called Escape from Camp 14, but it is the most sobering story of real-life drama that I've run across in a long, long time. The author's name is Blaine Hardin. This is not a Christian book or any way a spiritually framed book, but it is a book of real life that is based on interviews with the only person known to have been born and raised in a North Korean detention camp and then found freedom and lived to tell his story. Mm. The guy's name is Shin Dong-yuk. And most of us in the world are not conscious of some of the darkness in North Korea. You know, Darfur has George Clooney to trumpet its cause, and Richard Gere is always talking about Tibet and its struggles with mainland China's government and so on, and Lady Gaga is tweeting about how we can help East Africa. But there is no voice, there's no celebrity voice, there's no focus, there's no headlight on what's happening in North Korea, but right now today... There are as many as 200,000 people who are in detention camps all across the northern mountains of North Korea. And that cruel regime has decreed that if someone runs afoul of the government, they and up to three generations of their family will be imprisoned in these awful slave labor camps. And in these camps, whole generations are born and grow up never knowing about the outside world. I mean, it's inconceivable for us. And so this guy, Shin Don Yuk, He was born in the camp, and he was conceived by two people who had no relationship but were rewarded for good behavior by having one night to sleep together in a bed. Imagine being conceived in this way and then being born into this camp, and then you don't really grow up with your family. You you don't really know your father or your mother. You know she's your mother, and you visit her occasionally, but you're in this congregate facility. And this guy spent 23 years of his life in this world. He did not know the world was round. He didn't know anything about the outside world. He never had meat unless he caught a rat in the fields and killed it for himself. He turned in his mother and betrayed her when she tried to escape because he saw her as a rival for food. He was 14 years old. Then he was forced to watch her be hanged together with his brother. Mm. And then he's tortured for days underground because they want to get more information out of him. People who are born and raised in these environments are primal animals almost, without human feeling, it would seem. But one day, a guy came into the camp named Park who came from the outside, and he started talking to Shin and helped Shin understand there were There were things outside in the world that were beautiful, Hmm. that there was food, there was meat, pork and beef and chicken. He'd never heard of such things. And that there was food on tables and and that people moved about and that there was a bigger world beyond North Korea. He'd never imagined anything beyond the fence, the electrified fence of the camp. And they decided they would escape. And so one day, Park and Shin go to the far edge of the camp. It's many, many acres. And there's fields inside the camp and so on. They go to the far edge between two guard towers, and when the guards were turning each the other way, Park dove under the electrified fence, but the current was so great that he was fried instantly. Think Mm -hmm. about the terror of Shin just watching his friend being electrocuted. And then he decided there's no turning back, and so he crawls over the body of his dead friend, and his friend's body acts as a grounding for the current. But even so, his legs, the back of his legs, touch one of the wires, and they're horribly scarred and burned, but now he crawls and slithers out forward because he knows there's no turning back. In the blue sky, he can see a bird soar free. I'm telling you this story because freedom and the freedom of spirit and soul that all of us have been born to crave can never be achieved easily, and you can never turn back. And in the book, Escape from Camp 14, Shin knows he can't go back. Mm. 
And even though there are terrible things ahead of him as he goes through this long journey until at last he finds his way to Seoul, South Korea, where he now is a voice for these oppressed ones. And as a man who's talking about the feelings coming into his heart and how he's learning to forgive the guards, knowing that's the only way he has a future. Hmm. As he is developing life, he's tempted sometimes to go back to the bitterness, go back to the anger. I can't go back there. Mm-hmm. He has to go forward. And this brings me to the next part of the text, J.J. Moses, looking at his people who were tempted to go back, says, stay calm. Hmm. Just stay calm. Don't let your fears overtake you. Don't be enslaved. Don't let the devil drag you back. There's something better. And as you are staying calm, you have to trust God. Peace and serenity are found when we come to the point of ultimate surrender and realize, I can't do this. I can't fix it myself. All I can do is trust God to make the way. That's the only place that you'll find serenity in life, the only place of calm. And with that surrender to God, God delivers. Yeah. You know, JJ, this whole drama Hmm. is in many ways predicated on a truth that's disclosed to us in verses 5 and 18 of Exodus chapter 14. The people's dilemma, their entrapment by the Red Sea, the seeming hopelessness of it, all of that is a stage. Yeah. God tells us why they're on the stage. He's going to walk onto it. He wants to say something to the Egyptians. And so he's using this people. He's bringing them out. He's acting on their behalf. He's delivering them. And he's putting them in this spot. Yes, to to show say something to them, to the to the Hebrew people, but he's trying to tell the Egyptians, I am the real deal. I'm not made out of stone or wood. You cannot manipulate me. I am the one true God. Watch how I delivered this people. God's purposes are greater than our circumstances. Mm -hmm. Our circumstances are sometimes a stage upon which the glory of God walks. Mm -hmm. And we always look at God through our self-interested lens. Even when we think Mm -hmm. we're being God-focused, it's often about how are we going to be impacted by the purpose of God. And yet there are moments in life when we need to just sit back and realize God is using our circumstances to declare to people we don't even know his glory. And our suffering, our predicament is never in vain when we're traveling with God. Be calm and watch what God does. But then Moses is commanded by God to get moving too. Because you can't just pray. Crying out to me. Praying matters, but sometimes the most effective prayer is one that is paired with action. We've all had moments when we've prayed and still been anxious. Sometimes when we pray, though, we need to step forward by faith and actually act as we're praying. You know, JJ, I love to go to India. I love to take people to India. I first visited the subcontinent 25 years ago, been back many times. On one journey, I had a group of guys and Uh, We found ourselves trapped in Delhi at the airport. We had missed our connection for our flight home, not through any fault of our own, but because some of the other connectors on the ground in India were so uh, inept that we simply were delivered to the airport too late to get in our plane. But what we discovered to our horror, unlike in the States where we'd be accustomed to, well, we'll just get booked on the next flight, it doesn't work quite that same way there. And there's never enough airline capacity to and from India. There are more people traveling to and from than there are planes. So because we missed our flight... We had to rebook, but there were no seats to rebook on. In fact, we were told by every airline, and I stood and camped out at the American Express office, a travel agent's office, the Swiss Air office, which was our carrier, and everybody else, 
that there were no seats for 30 days. I mean, it just seems oh. inconceivable. How can that be? The only place where I was told I could get my group out as a destination was to Kabul, Afghanistan. And we were told, <laughs> if you go to Kabul, you'll There's be stuck. There's a rock and a hard yeah, place. You'll, yeah, <laughs> you'll be stuck there too. And if you're going to be stuck somewhere better in Delhi, and I, I right. bought that. So there we were going every day to the airport, trying to get out, never getting out, going back to our hotel called the Park Hotel. It was totaling up $1,000 a day for me to keep this whole group there. Mm. We were desperate to get home. I didn't have enough money to keep it going. There was no way out. Didn't know what to do. It was frustrating, exhausting, emotionally get worn down. I know it's not the Red Sea, and I know Pharaoh's army wasn't behind us, but after a few days of this, you become desperate. And I remember thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I felt responsible. I was the leader. I was the little Moses of this tribe. Hmm. And one day I just decided, this is the day we're going to cross. This is the day we're Hmm. going to make it happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but somehow God is going to deliver us. I told the guys, get your suitcases out, get out of this hotel, come down to the cab. We're going to the airport. And they did. And we got there and I said, okay, we're making a wagon train in the terminal in front of the airline counter. And the airline counters there, it's not like we're accustomed to in the Western world. I mean, there's a lot of commotion, huge crowds. There are no chairs. They don't want people sitting around. People are shoving and pushing. It's just part of the culture. It's just kind of tense. And there we were in the middle of this vast departure hall in front of an airline counter. We made a wagon train of our suitcases and we stood in a circle and I stood in the middle and I said, look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud. I don't want you to think about who's watching you. I don't want you to care about what people think. We're going to storm the gates of heaven and defy hell by praying this prayer. For thine is the kingdom, thine is the power, thine is the glory forever and ever. And we're going to pray it, and we're going to do it out loud in unison. Just pray out loud with me. (laughs) And I'm sure they all looked at me like he has lost his mind. But as we did that, I stared at the counter and the guy behind the counter. (laughs) And so it was. And people all around us just gawked and stared, what's going on here? But we did it. And you know what? When we said amen, the guy at the counter waved me forward. I went up. He said, give me your passports. And we got our passports out. I laid them out there. And he said, you've got 10 minutes to get down there to that gate. You run. But if you get there, you'll be on the plane. And we did. We flew out on business class. And my point with the story is... In the most desperate hour, you can pray and pray and pray, but sometimes you've got to put your foot in the water. Mm -hmm. You've got to hold your staff up. You've got to do something that demonstrates that you believe God has the power to deliver you. And so he did. But think about this one last thing in the story, JJ. The scripture tells us that Moses held up his staff, the water assembled in two halves, two walls of water. Now, how big was that wall of water? Well, it was big enough to drown the Egyptians who would follow in. So Mm -hmm. this isn't no small little wading pool. It separates on the sides. The dry sea bottom stares Mm -hmm. at them. Mm -hmm. The Red Sea is so far across that it's unlikely they could have seen the other shore. So it means they have to walk down in between two towering walls of water that are just like, is this the twilight zone or what? And get out there so deep that I can't run either direction to a shore and be safe if one of these walls comes down on me. Who's going to be the first one to walk in? (laughs) And you know, in some children's books, they have beautiful depictions of this water, but then there are fish swimming by (laughs) on either side of me. It's like, oh my word. Exactly. The whole thing would be terrifying. Even when God delivers us, we can be terrified. Even when you believe you can crawl over the body of your charred friend, you can be terrified in the pursuit of freedom. 
but you must go forward. And they are delivered because they, by faith, trusted God to keep that water up, that they, by faith, knew God was leading them forward to a better place, and they would take the dare. Folks, in life, pack your bags, travel with God, but you must be willing to take the chance. Oh, but the amazing, extraordinary, supernatural interventions of God you can witness if you will just be committed to going forward. Don't turn Wherever you are in life today, know that God is in the business of deliverance. And know this also, that your predicament may in fact be a moment where God is glorified so that others will also know that he is the one God of heaven and earth, supreme above all other things. Trust him. Bow before him. Pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you are the God of the universe, the God of big things and small things, of red seas and predicaments, We thank you, Lord, that you are willing to lead us forward. And when we come to places where we cannot do for ourselves, you will do what we cannot do. And we're thankful, Lord, that you will call us forward, even when we're afraid, and you will protect us and walk us through to a better end. Do not let the devil deceive us or detour us or draw us backward. May we keep our face fixed towards heaven and walk even through the Red Sea. May we not be fearful of the enemy, who will chase us and haunt us and intimidate us. And may the Hebrews' journey be our own. And may we find ourselves safely delivered to the other side. We surrender our lives to you. We admit our helplessness. And we ask you to make us pure and holy, clean and new. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you'd like to know more about how God delivers, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're always by the phone, and we're always a real-life person, ready, willing, anxious to speak to you. Or perhaps you have access to the Internet, and you can email us. Just find us at cbhviewpoint.org. Share with us your questions. Share with us your story. Email us, and we will respond. Or at the last, write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Henderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But by whatever method you choose, please, let us hear from you this week. JJ, thanks for traveling with us today. My pleasure. And thank you for coming alongside as well. We hope you'll tune in again next week as we continue our journey through Exodus, as we continue our journey through life, packing our bags for heaven's sake. For all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, this is Jim Lyon. Godspeed. Stay tuned.